Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn with me to 1 Peter and chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read uh, from verse 7 through to verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 through to verse 12. And if you would stand just for the reading of God's Word as we come around the Word of God this morning, we'll all read it audibly together. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 7, the trial of your faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's all read it together this morning. The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, ye believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Father, this morning we are so thankful for your presence. We pray, Lord, by the power of your Spirit that you would quicken your word to our hearts, that Jesus would be glorified. Lord, above everything, we just ask, O oh God, for your help this morning. Lord, both to preach and to hear your word, we, Lord, never want to presume anything, Lord. We just ask, believe in this morning, that you would do Lord, a work in our hearts this morning through the preaching of your precious word. We think of so many this morning, Lord, that are in, praying, in prison and chains, Lord, for the sake of the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you would minister your great grace upon them. Lord, we think of the suffering church, Lord. We think of the church that, Lord, has very little, but, Lord, they are rich in Christ. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. So, Lord, help us this morning. Take away every distraction, Lord. Lord, we pray that our minds, Lord, would be focused, our hearts would be opened, our ears would be unstopped. Lord, that you would have your way in each of our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Over the past number of weeks, we have looked at uh, the end times, um, the warfare that will, that is and will take place according to the scripture, a manifestation of the satanic powers, the Antichrist kingdom, rulers of darkness, wickedness in high places, the spiritual Armageddon that has already begun that will ultimately end with a physical manifestation of that over um, in the valley of Megiddo, or the hill of Megiddo, the valley of Jehoshaphat. We're seeing the unfolding of God's eternal purpose in these last days, and we thank God that his purpose, found in 1 John 3 and verse 8, simply says, For the purpose of the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. That in the end, Christ is victorious. 
Christ overcomes. Christ will come and rule and reign forever and ever. He is that lamb upon that throne. In the day in which we are living, as we have looked at the uh, spiritual opposition this morning, uh, the only expression of God's divine power upon the earth in the days in which we're living in is the church of the living God. He has no other plan but the church of Jesus Christ. That is the blood bought, those that are born again of the Spirit of God, washed in the blood, Spirit-filled believers. That is the only vehicle of expression that God has chosen by which He will manifest His glory and His power in these end days against the kingdom of darkness. There is absolutely no other plan that God has but the church of Jesus Christ across the world, across the globe, across the nation, across this town this morning, across this land, the only vehicle that God has purposed and chosen to display His glory and to demonstrate His power against the works of darkness is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only plan that God has. It's a glorious plan. The Bible says that it is a glorious and it is a victorious church without spot that He will come for. He will build His church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. All the outpouring of wickedness that we will see and are seeing is going to continue to unfold. But in the midst of that, there is a church, there are a people that are washed in the blood, that are known by the name of Christ, that display His character and His glory in these days. And throughout the course of the history of faith, there has always been critical times or times of crisis I believe that we are living in the last days, and I believe that most of you believe that also. And it is a time where there will be a crisis of faith. The Lord tells us Himself, when He comes, shall He find faith on the earth. That the reason why He says that is because there will become, there will come a crisis of real faith in the final moments of time. But there has always been crisis. There's always been critical moments in time. And at those times, you'll find if you read through the Scriptures that in the crisis, there was always a people that God would seek out that when they would cooperate with His divine purpose. And if you take the time, I'm not going to go through them all because there are simply so many. But, you know, I, I often think of men like Nehemiah or men like David or women like Esther or women like Deborah who in their time, in that crisis, in that time when it came, that they aligned their lives to the will and the divine purpose of God. And because they chose to align themselves to His divine purpose, God was able to take ordinary men and women and do supernatural things beyond what their natural ability was. And God is looking again in this hour for a people that are willing a people that are not great in themselves, they're just ordinary people, but are going to align their wills and their lives to the divine purpose of God. And God then will do exploits for His glory and for His honor. He is seeking a people who are going to align themselves to His will across all the denominations and all the different isms that there are today. But just those that are washed in the blood, born of the Spirit, that want the, the walk in His ways. God is raising up a people in this hour for that purpose. You know, there is a great opposition. You'll often find that that remnant comes forth not in the, the times of ease, but in the times of crisis. That's when the pressure's on, when the shaking comes. That's when God brings that remnant forth 
Otherwise, it just normally carries on as normal. But then suddenly the crisis creates the opportunity for God to bring forth his people and to display his glory through ordinary men and women. One of those men is Nehemiah. You know the story of the man who had a heart and a burden for his people. Jerusalem is broken and burnt out. And so he's led with the hand of the Lord to align himself to the purpose of God. And then there's the great opposition, the Sambalats, the Tobias, and so forth. And then there's the false prophets. You know, there's so many types that, that, that we're living in today. And they come and one of them came to him and said, Look, listen, this is a word of the Lord for you. What we'll do is we'll hide down in the temple. That's a good place for us to hide because Sambalat and Tobiah are saying all these things. And Nehemiah says these words. He says in Nehemiah 6, Should I, should such a man as I flee in the crisis, should I run away in the midst of the crisis and hide in the temple? And he's basically saying, God forbid, how can I come down? Because we are going to see a great work for the Lord. There's a reaction of that faith as we looked about a number of weeks ago. We know the story that we're taught from an early age of David and Goliath. And when David comes at that moment, and his older brother Eliab is telling him, you know, why are you here? What are you here for? You're here for yourself. You're not here for the glory of God. And David says, what have I done? Is there not a cause in all of this? There was something that he aligned himself to in the purpose of the Lord in that hour to rise up against the enemy and to see the enemy defeated and God's people live in the victory of what Christ has done for us on the cross. But there was an alignment of his will, of his life, according to the purpose of God. We see with Esther, you know the story so well, but you know, all these people were willing to pay a price. She said, if I perish, I'll perish. But listen, I've been brought to this kingdom for such a time as this. So I will align myself to God's divine purpose. That's where the victory is. That's where the overcoming life is, aligning our lives according to the divine purpose of a living God. You know, we are living in these final moments, and I don't say that to try and be just, you know, to grasp your attention. I hope it does anyway, but we are living in the final moments of time. And, and there has always been final moments, but not like this one. There's always been times, and you know, I just have the type of thinking or mindset or, or understanding that when I read them, I often put myself, try to put myself right in the middle of what was happening. When I read the scripture, it's a real story, they're real lives, it's real faith, it's a real God, and it's a real enemy. And I was thinking just over the different great moments of time, and again, there's many, you might think of others, but there are so many uh, days that have come in scripture that were just they were just awesome days. And yet in it all, God had found a people. I thought of Noah. And we often look at Noah as he built the ark and, and so forth. But, you know, I just put myself at that moment when God was about to close the door of that ark. And, you know, God, by this part of his spirit, began to draw in all the flesh and Noah and his family. And I believe that they went in most likely up a ramp up through that door, and I, I can see Noah standing. I put myself just standing over the right-hand side of his shoulder, just looking out, and God, by the power of his Spirit, began to draw in all those animals. God did that supernaturally. 
And if you're just standing, looking over the eye, over the shoulder of Noah, I can see that old man standing there who's labored and built and trusted God move because of the fear and the faith in his heart, the fear of God, but a faith to believe God. And I can see him standing at the top of that ramp. It must have been an awesome sight to see as God, by the power of his spirit, began to draw in all those animals and they're coming into that ark by the power of the Holy Ghost. And he's standing there and he sees the hand of God. Everything that he'd preached and believed for all those years and what he'd built. And everyone thought that the man was crazy. But there he's standing looking and now God by his spirit begins to draw in through that door. And then the Bible tells us that God shut that door. It must have been as he stood on the other side of that door just a moment in time. A moment that only when we get to heaven we'll fully understand it. And I'm not trying to just, but think about it. It really happened. It really happened. And then the rain began to fall. The, the judgment of God began to fall. And there he's been preaching and believing and building all those years and pleading pleading with men to come in and women to come in and they thought the man was mad. But then God, because he aligned himself to the purpose of God, that Noah and his family were saved. They aligned themselves to God's purpose. I think of Lot and we know the story is the judgment of God was coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The judgment of God, the wrath of God is going to be poured out in this earth. But at that time it was a city and we're warned that as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be. But I think of the moment in time when we're standing in Lot's living room, right in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's two angels, and there's his wife and there's daughters. You know what the Bible tells us? Can you just think of it for a moment? Can you put yourself right into Lot's living room? And all the wickedness that's around him and those men beating on the doors and the blindness that comes and the wickedness was full, the cup of iniquity was full and there's Lot standing. And the Bible simply tells us and while he lingered, the angels took the hold of their hands. Think about it for a moment. This literally happened. This is a true story. And the angel just put their hand in the hand of Lot and in the hand of Lot's wife. And the other angel took the hands of the daughters and they walked out the door and they led them right out the outside the city. We know the story of Lot's wife. She looked back, but it was by the power, the divine power of God, aligning themselves to the will of God that they escaped the judgment that was coming. Hours and days of great crisis. There's so many we think of Moses. Think about it for a moment. We know the stories. We look at the pictures as children and we know them so well. But think of Moses standing at the age of 80 just at that Red Sea as an old man with the rod of God in his hand just standing at the back of him looking over his shoulder and hearing from God. And God says, lift up that rod over that water. And you see the whole hand going up with the rod of God in his hand and the east wind begins to blow and suddenly the sea begins to open and God made a way when there was no way. Hours of crisis when the enemy was pressing in and at a moment it could all be destroyed but because there was a people that aligned themselves to the will and the divine purpose of God, God made a way when there was no way. They aligned themselves to his divine purpose, not their will, not their plan, not their ambition, but God's way. And when we align ourselves to God's way, God does supernatural things. 
Seas opened. Joshua and the people of God with a shout. The whole of those walls came crumbling. Can you imagine being standing there that day with the people of faith who aligned themselves to the will and the divine purpose of God and all of a sudden shout and they all shouted and the walls collapsed. Because why? Because there was a people in a crisis that said we will align ourselves to the divine purpose and the will of God. And when we do that, friends, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing impossible with God. We talked of David already, but you know, I just love the, I love the scripture when it says of him that he took his staff and he got five smooth stones from the brook and a shepherd's bag, and a sling. And he aligned themselves to the divine purpose of God, and a giant was slain. And a young fellow was standing on the chest of a giant with his head in his hand, one hand, and the sword of Goliath in the other, because God's able to do supernatural things with ordinary people who align themselves with the will of God. Think about the weaponry of David, a staff, I love the preaching this, and well, maybe again, a staff, five smooth stones, a shepherd's bag, and a sling, but God. The days and the times are endless. Samson, Deborah, Ruth, Samuel, Isaiah, all those good kings, the prophets, Ezekiel, Elijah, Elisha, Haggai, Zechariah, mighty days of God, men, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, done exploits and supernatural things. In our reading this morning, this is what it says. I want you to hear it. The prophets have inquired and searched diligently after these days. What days? I want you to listen to me this morning. Think of the prophets, the majors, the minors, Think of the Isaiahs and the Ezekiels. Think of the Haggai's and, 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 and the Zechariahs. Think of all those great prophets of old. Think of the Elijahs and the Elishas, the prophets of the Lord. And you know what the Bible tells us in our reading this morning? That the prophets, the prophets of old have inquired and searched diligently after these days. Think about this this morning. They have sought after, they have longed for, they have looked into, and they wanted to know about these days. I want you to listen this morning. Your day and my day. You're sitting here this morning, and so often some people come in and go out and don't really hear too much and, and sit looking out windows or down on carpet floors and not really take anything in, they're not really interested, or sometimes you don't really grasp what's being said, but I want you to just grasp this for a moment. The day that you're living in, the day that we have come to, all the prophets of this Old Testament have longed and searched diligently this for this day. Think about it for a second. They longed and they searched and they looked for this day. The word inquired, the prophets have inquired, simply means to crave or to search out, or to investigate the days in which we are living in. In other words, when we know that the Spirit of God would have came upon those old men, and they 
began to write those scriptures, they were not sitting like robots at a desk somewhere and just writing as the Spirit of God came upon them. But in the depths of their heart, they were seeking, they were exploring, they were longing, they were looking through a veil that they could not fully see through, that Old Testament veil, that veil in that temple. But they were longing to see that there was a day that was coming. There was a day of grace that would burst upon the planet Earth and they were longing to see that day. They searched diligently, explored, and they searched out. Jeremiah would write the words, Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that I perform that good thing that I promised to the house of Israel and to Judah. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, but he's not just writing words. Behind the words is a heart that is seeking and longing and searching and exploring for the day that we're living in. That we're actually in. They were longing for it. Jeremiah was longing for your day. He would long to sit in your seat. He would long to sing with you this morning. He longed to worship the, the glory of God in the context of this new covenant. They longed for it. Zechariah writes the words, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of this place. He'll build the temple of the Lord. He was looking, as it were, through that veil. And he was trying to see in some way of the reality and the revelation of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. They were longing to see our day. Isaiah writes the words. We sing it only at Christmas for some reason, but we should sing it every day. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And he was longing for our day. They explored in the spiritual realm the reality of what we're living in. Hebrews says, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past unto our fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, by whom also he's made the worlds. And they searched. Oh, that there would be a searching from our hearts for the things of God. Oh, there would be a passion like the passion of the prophets and a searching of the prophets to know and to find out the truth that these things be so says that these are the things that the angels desire to look into. That is an absolute desire. The angels of heaven desire to look into the reality and the revelation of what we have. Think about that for a moment. We're sitting here this morning and the angels of heaven, the prophets of the scriptures have sought to know these days, to explore them. What's it going to be like? When the day of grace comes and bursts upon planet earth and through Christ that many would come through that new covenant and have access to God, not in their own works or their own strength, but because of the grace of God, they'd come in to the new covenant and his blood. What is that day going to be like? And the angels of heaven, it says that they, that they look down, they look into They search out anxiously and diligently the prophets and the angels desire That word simply means to set their heart upon. The angels of heaven set their heart to understand and know the mystery of this Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
the one that they have eternally worshipped in glory around his throne. He left the splendor of heaven and the angels are still looking into it to try and work out how did this all happen. The word look into simply means a thing in order to look at. To look at with the head bowed forward. To look into with the body bent and to stoop down and to look in. You think about it this morning that the angels of heaven, as it were, are looking over and stooping down into this wee assembly hall and all the assembly halls across the world and they're searching and looking into it, wondering how this all happened. And in the mystery of all of that, they're worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They long to know the days that we're in. Now, that word to stoop down, that word to look into, do you know what it is? You'll remember when Peter was told that the Lord had risen and the tomb was empty. And it tells us in Luke 24 that Peter arose and he started to run to the sepulcher. And he was running. Have you ever been in a situation where you're running and you're longing to see something? Not, not necessarily being chased, but you're running for something and your heart's starting to pound and you want to know. And he got to the sepulcher and the Bible tells us in Luke 24 and 12, stooping down, stooping down, he got down into the sepulcher and he's seen there was the folded grave clothes. He's not here, he's alive. He stooped right into that sepulchre as the angels stooped down and they tried to understand the why, the wonder of it all, that Jesus died, the Son of God, for mankind, and they're saved by the grace of God. These are the days they looked into. Your day, my day, the, the prophets searched diligently for them. The angels are looking over the balcony of heaven, as it were, and they look with wonder. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. You think about that this morning. The Bible tells us in Revelation 5, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I know what they're doing. They're looking down. They're stooping in. That's what the Bible says. They're stooping in and looking over into this wee meeting this morning and they're saying, my, there's Hassan Nas. He's saved by the grace of God. They're looking over the balconies of heaven this morning and they're saying with all wonder within their hearts, there's Neil Mateer. He's saved by the grace of God. They're looking over the balcony of heaven this morning. There's Gillian Sloss. She's saved by the grace of God. They stoop down and wonder at the miracle of the new birth. And the prophets who have gone home to be with the Lord through faith, they're searching diligently at the wonder, the wonder of it all that Jesus Christ would come into a sin-sick world, that the fullness of the glory of God would dwell in our Lord. And that he would die on a cross 2,000 years ago and rise again. Rise again on the third day triumphant. And by the grace of God see billions of people. And the prophets longed to know about it. The day that would come to you. And the angels stooped down to look into this matter. And the ten thousands, time ten thousands of angels are still in wonder. And what happens to us? 
Friends, it's hard to awaken a church even to the joy of being saved. It's hard to awaken us to the revelation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Hard to push in a couple of hours on a Sunday. Hard to get to an aisle meeting. Hard to get out the Bible and begin to study it and look into it and go, this is amazing. This is an amazing book. Because everywhere I read it, you see the treasures of glory. You see Jesus. The prophets searched. If you turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 and verse. Matthew 13 and verse 14. Matthew 13 and verse 14. Jesus says these words, And then them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, By hearing ye shall hear, and not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull. They're dull of hearing. I don't know where you've ever had the experience of going dull of hearing. Have anyone ever had that experience? A few of us, that sense of dull of hearing. Just a number of weeks ago, it happened in both my ears. And it's, not, it's like you're not in the conversation, but you're there. It's, a, it's an awful experience to be dull of hearing. It is really because you're sitting in the conversation, but you're sort of separated from it because you're not picking up everything that's being said. It's like people spiritually, they, they zoom in and out of a meeting. They get 10 minutes and then they clock off for 10 minutes and then they're back in again. And then they clock off again for another 10 minutes and then they're back in again and they've missed, they've missed what God was saying. They only get parts. And so they can't tune their ears to the, the clarity of what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. It's an awful thing only that you can go and get your ears shringed or get them to put a hose, not a garden hose, but a baby hose in your ear with hot water. And it's suddenly like you've just heard for the first time. When I walked out the door, I could hear the sea. I could hear people laughing all of a sudden. My goodness, this is great. I can hear again. The dullness of hearing that you don't hear the Spirit of God. It's a serious, serious issue. Because you're only hearing snippets. You're only hearing what you want to hear. Anyone ever said that to you? You only hear what you want to hear. Selective hearing. Just taking out the bits that I want to hear, but not really what God is saying. And Jesus is actually speaking to a people, fulfilling the prophecy, by hearing you shall hear but not understand, and seeing you shall see but you'll not perceive, for their heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have been closed, this and any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and be converted, and I'll heal them. That actually would bring healing to their lives. But then he says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Then he says in verse 17, For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see. Think about it, friends. What you actually see, the prophets and the righteous men have desired to see them, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and they have not heard them. The prophets of old have longed to sit in the reality of what you experience today and the grace of God and the fullness of salvation. And yet some take it so lightly. 
Some have rejected this great salvation. Some treat the precious things of God so lightly. Jesus said that there was a day, sorry, Paul writes about the day that the Lord would save us, 2 Timothy 1 and 9. He would call us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to the own purpose and His grace, which was given in as given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He prophesied of the grace that would come to you, and the grace that would come to me, the reality that you're saved by the grace of God. The day has come that the prophets long for said, searching what or what manner of time that the Spirit of Christ was in them did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. The sufferings of Christ they prophesied about the sufferings of Jesus Christ under the inspiration and the touch of the Holy Ghost in their lives they began to prophesy of a day that Christ would come and suffer literally suffer Christ has suffered for sins he's the sufferer for the just for the unjust that he might bring us to glory being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We know that the preaching of the cross, the suffering of Christ, to them the perish is foolishness, but to us that are saved, what is it? It's the power of God. And the prophets longed to grasp the revelation of this, but not only the sufferings of Christ, but it also says that the glory, prophets prophesied of the glory that would follow, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a glory in it all. The glory of the cross. The glory of the resurrection. There's a glory that's to come. Of course, the Bible tells us that, that we reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. The glory that's coming. There's a glory in it all, friends. Even though in some ways we are seeing through a glass darkly, but we've sung it this morning, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even also as I am known. Then face to face we shall see Jesus. The glory after the suffering. Of course they're referring to the glory that's to come when Christ bursts through the clouds to take us home. The day when there's We sung that song this morning. There's no struggle. There's no tears. There's no fear. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's a day coming. There's a glory coming. But I also want to tell you, friends, there's a glory today. There's a glory today. The Bible tells us that we are part of administration of the Old Testament, the old ministration was glorious. The Bible says, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? 
For if the ministration in the Old Testament be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. We're part of a glorious ministration. We're part of a glorious New Testament in His blood. There's a glory for the believer to live the life today. This is not a waiting room, friends, for heaven. But we're here on earth to display the glory of the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Ghost. We're here as sons and daughters purchased by the blood of Jesus, born of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus Christ lives by faith. But not only that, by the power of the Holy Ghost, the Son is displayed of a world. For this purpose was the Son of God revealed that He might destroy the works of the evil one. We're living in the days of, a, of the need of a manifestation of the glory of God on earth. There will be the ultimate demonstration of His glory when He bursts through the clouds in all His splendor and all His glory as the King of Kings. But friends, there is a demonstration of His glory right now. The prophets penned the words under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost of the sufferings of Christ, but said, there's a glory that comes after that. There's a resurrection on that third day. There's an outpouring of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost on 120 people. There is the power of the Spirit of God to be displayed into the lost world. Lives changed by the power of God. I believe that when Haggai the prophet penned these words, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once, it is a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations, and the desire of the nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. I believe that that house is not a house built with hands. I believe that is a house made by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And in you dwells the glory of God. That is Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. And he said, he penned under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost through a veil that he could not see but believed in. He said that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. There is a glory in the church. There is a glory in the people of God. It is Christ. He is the glory of God. The earth shall be filled, Habakkuk said, with the, with the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And every prophet, every prophet, and every woman and every man of God that ever raised, were raised up in a time or an hour of crisis in the Old Testament and in the New. Every single one of them, not one excluded, every single one of them experienced the touch and the power of the Holy Ghost to do what they could not do in themselves, but to fulfill the divine purposes of God. And we in our intellect today believe we do not need the Holy Ghost. Isaiah was touched, was he not? Jeremiah was touched, was he not? David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. 
the power and the enjoyment of the Holy Spirit upon these men in an old dispensation looking through as it were that veil of darkness, but yet they believe God. And we now in the ministration of glory by the grace of God have been brought in to the banqueting house of God and we have been born of the Spirit and we need the power of the Spirit. I've heard it said too many times, but it's not a salvation matter. I want to tell you it is. Not that you need to be filled to be saved. It's a salvation matter for the souls of men around these streets. We need the power of God to reach them with the gospel, with the Holy Ghost sent down. They longed, they looked. It's all in the desire. 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul said these words, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. To obtain the glory. Friends, if ever there was an hour in the crisis and the call and the purpose of God, do you know what the whole purpose is this? First thing I want to begin with as I close is desire is everything. See, desire, desire is everything. Listen, I'm well aware, I'm well aware we could preach from six o'clock in the morning to 12 o'clock at night. We could preach all day. We could counsel all day. We could speak all day. We could preach the truth all day. And preaching, we'll carry on doing because that is the means by which God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. But we are also well aware of this, that there has to be a desire in the heart of a human. There has to be a desire in the heart of a human. There has to be. It's a mystery in some ways. I don't try to tie it all together. But the Bible says the wind will blow. And when the wind of the Holy Spirit blows into a place, He's responding to the desire of a heart. We could counsel all day. We could speak all day. We could point to the Scriptures all day. And that's right, we'll do that. But what I realize very easily very quickly, unless there's a desire in that heart, you'll have no appreciation or no grasp of the day that you're living in. Would it be a tragedy that the day that you're living in, that the prophets long for, that the angels are looking over the balcony of heaven and looking into, and in your heart this morning, you have no desire for the things that they're longing for? There has to be a desire then in that desire, there has to be a willingness to align ourselves with the divine purposes of God. This is so important. I have a desire. What do you do with that desire? I'll align my life with the divine purposes of God. This is not my will. It's not my ambition. It's not about me. It's not what I want. But I'm aligned in this life to the divine purposes of God. There has to be an alignment to that. That takes humility because today everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes. I mean, not in the broader context. 
And in that desire, I just ask you this morning, is there even a desire? You see, it's a desire. If any man thirsts, let him come. There had to be a desire, a spiritual longing or desire in that life. Is there a desire? I'm not looking at the outward expression. I'm looking in the depths of your heart. Is there a desire in your heart to serve God? Is there a desire for you to live for Jesus? Is there a desire for you to get right with God? Is there a desire for you to live for God? In the depths of your heart, I'm not talking about just, just a thought in your head or a good idea. I'm talking about in the, in the heart of man, there's a desire. And if there's a desire, are you willing to align yourself to the purpose of God? No, but that requires, that, that requires a big climb down. That requires a big climb down. That requires a bus to get off. To get off our thrones. To get off our ideas. To get off all our, our thoughts of what we think. And it, it requires of us to get down on our knees and say, My God, I'm giving you, I'm presenting my life. It's what the Bible says as a living sack. I'm going to get down. I'm going to get off my high horse. I'm going to get down on my knees. I'm going to align my life. I'm going to make an altar at my chair. I'm going to get down before God this morning and say, God, take my life and let it be wholly consecrated to unto thee. Are we willing to get down? Church, are we willing to get down? Are we willing to lower and humble ourselves away down? To understand the day that we're in. To think about the day and the times that we're in. We've been talking about them so often and looking at the prophetic aspect of that. But are we willing this morning to say, my God, we're in such a crisis. We're in a critical time. Lord, I have a desire to serve you. Where does that begin? Do you know where it begins? It begins with you getting down on your knees. That's where it begins. It begins with saying, Lord, not I, but Christ in me. It's only when we get down that God's able to do a great work through our lives. Why? Because he says that no flesh shall glory in his presence. And the humble will receive the touch of God that is needed. And friends, let me tell you something this morning. There's no limits on what God would do. Because all who receive the glory is his Son. That's all he's interested in. Will we get down? Will we get before him? When we say, now Lord, touch our lives and do exploits. Because this is a crisis, folks. This is a crisis. I read a wee article yesterday. It would break your heart, this reading of a mum who's trying to raise awareness of her son who's just recently taken his life. Young fella couldn't cope in the lockdown in his wee flat. Couldn't find a way out. So he goes online and finds the websites that assist you. Think about it. You talk about demonic forums that help you and instruct you on how you should take your own life. Think about it. Think about it, friend, where we've come to. Think about this. 
But you can find that online. You can find the lies from the pit of hell. Forums and chat rooms and websites, not on the dark web. These, the, the wee woman, the wee mummy says, these are just easily accessible. Can I tell you something, young people? Listen to me. These days are critical. But can I tell you something, friends? It's not just about surviving. God wants to raise the young people in this room up to go and win the young people of their generation, not just here in Balnehenge, but across this island. I believe that. God's looking for Davids and Esthers. He's looking for Ruths. He's looking for Deborahs. He's looking for Davids. There is a cause. Do you know, we hear it so often. We, we hear it constantly on the news about the, the, the historical inquiries and men that, men that actually believed in what they were doing for a cause and it was devilish. It was actually devilish. Listen to me, it was devilish. There was nothing righteous about it. Hear me this morning. There's nothing righteous about it. What happened, the bloodshed in this country. It's atrocious. It is. It's absolutely sickening to hear it. But men would starve themselves to death for a cause. Whatever we think about that, that man was so overcome by a land spirit that he would starve himself for his cause. Think about it. How demonic is that? And yet they, they commemorate this. This is not, but they commemorate this. They have murals and walls to commemorate these men that gave their lives for what they believed in. And it's the same, just to make sure everyone's all on the same page. It's the same on the other side. It's the same on the other side. That's not our side, by the way, just the other side. Men would give themselves. They believed in something. My God, wish Ulster men would give themselves to the cause of Christ. That they would die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many have died for a cause that was from the pit of hell? Do I believe there was righteousness in it? Yes. Do I believe that there was law and order that should have been upheld? Yes. Do I believe that innocent, innocent policemen and soldiers were slaughtered by the IRA in their hundreds? I do believe that. And as a nation, we have a government that's filled with lies. Unrepentant men that are in places of control in our government today. It's a sin before God. Make no mistake about that, friends. It's devilish. Wesley said as he did not think it was possible that God could visit this island with so much bloodshed. That was a Wesley's day. What about our day? Friends, I want to tell you there's a cause. There is a cause. Whoever ends up the leader of the DUP or our first minister, whether it's Edwin Pooch, Jeffrey Donaldson, Paul Given, or whether it's Michelle O'Neill, I'm going to tell you something. There's a cause, but it's not in politics. The cause is Christ. Amen. It is Christ. The church, I believe, must repent. It must. You know, it's good to repent. But I read in the scriptures that they repented from early morning right through to the afternoon. See, repentance today is shrug your shoulders. Sorry, Lord, messed up. Move on. 
We've made the things that are so precious, we've made them so cheap. We've made them so... Repentance. Real repentance. True repentance. Oh God. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the sins of offending a holy God. Forgive us, Lord, for the sins of our fathers. Forgive us for the blood that's been shed. Forgive us for the bitterness and the hatred and the wickedness. Forgive us, Lord, those sins run deep within our generation, right into the depths of every fabric of our society. Lord, there's a cause that's worth giving your life for. But men truly, truly, truly have a desire. When they truly, truly want to get off, as it were, their own throne, get on their knees and say, Jesus, I'm surrendering to your cause. I tell you, there are no limitations in what God will do. He'll take the ordinary. He'll take the nobodies. Never be worried about what you're going to be called. You can be called a nobody. You can be called whatever you're going to be called. You can be called a dropout if you want to be called a dropout. Don't worry, I have got over it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Honestly, I have. I'm encouraged by so many saying, we're glad to be part of a dropout church. <laughs> sad. What a sad day. Lord, your divine purpose for lives in this room. You know, there's some here, I know it, there's some here that will not surrender fully. You know, that battle goes on week in and week out. A battle, I sense it so strongly, I don't say much, but I sense it so strongly in preaching. There's this battle. There's a battle for souls. There's a battle for surrender. There's a battle for surrendering to the purposes of God. And some go out challenged, but go out the same way they came. Young people are challenged, but to go out the same way they came. Why? Because they're not surrendering. They're not surrendering. They're not giving their all. They're not saying, Lord, this morning, whatever the cost, I'm going to lay this all down. What does that mean? That means everything. And so the battle goes on. Another week of going through the grind because last week we were close, but we pulled away and we're going home. And we're back this week and we're close again. Desire, but humility to get down on our knees and say, Lord, this morning I'm going to surrender my life, my all, to Jesus. I tell you, friends, it's the place of victory. So many young people don't know why or how, and some older people too, to be honest, don't know how or why, or why am I always battling, why am I always... Because what we do is we lay it all down and we pick it all back up again on Monday. And then we do it the next week, we lay it all down again and then we get the haversack back on and belt it up and we have another week of grind. And next week then we feel a bit challenged and convicted a wee bit so we'll take it all off again and we're just about to enter into the fullness of what he has for us. But then... It's another week. 
of trying to do it ourselves. Oh God, deliver us from trying to do it ourselves. This morning, there is no limits on what God can do. With the Gospel preached and the Holy Ghost sent down, think about what He said. The Gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down. We need the Gospel preached with the Holy Ghost sent down. That's what we need. But God is looking to people that will say, well, we will, our desire is, and we will align ourselves to your divine purpose. And we will get on our knees and say, Lord, here is my life. Take it as I am. Now do what you want to do with it. I want to tell your friends, how exciting is that? I don't know what makes you thrilled, or ex- but that makes me very excited. May you not pick up the bag of cares and worries, anxieties, resistance, but may this morning you throw it all at the feet of Jesus and say, take my life. This is my desire. Follow you. What a victory. It's no secret what God will do. Is there desire? Are you willing? See if you are. In this morning, you're not responding to me. You respond to God in your heart. At your chair, you get on your knees and say, God, today, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to serve Him. The prophets explored this day. The angels and their thousands times tens thousands are looking over saying, that's amazing. That's amazing. I pray that we are still lost in the wonder of it as much as them. Are we lost in the wonder of it as much as them? That God could save someone like me. Can I say it? That God could save someone like you. And he did. Let's pray this morning.